I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Stony Brook. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 21, Mallory and the Trouble with Twins. They're so troublesome. Um, I'm very excited to hear each of your one-sentence summaries. What do you got? You're not going to tell us yours? <laughs> Fine. Mine <laughs> is an 11-year-old improbably unleashes the potential of two rich, emotionally neglected twins. Oh, boy. Okay, mine is Mallory helps twin sitting charges convince their own mother they are two different people, which gives her the idea to just ask for pierced ears, which apparently had never occurred to her before. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Anne, how about you? Well, mine's kind of similar, but shorter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mallory explains how to parent twins and gets her ears pierced. Nice. Great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Whoa. Wait, you guys, we should probably tell you about the members of members of the podcast. I can't say members anymore, so I just edited episode 20 <laughs> where Anne <laughs> makes a, equate, equates members of the podcast to penises. <laughs> anyway, we should probably tell you about the members of the podcast. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. <laughs> I'm Anna Chikawa, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. If you want to learn more about us and how the three of us know each other, please check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps other people find the podcast. Looking at you, friends of Emily. Um, And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, please drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. What's up with twins, Esme? (laughs) More generally or specifically Marilyn and Carolyn Arnold. Can I just say I had I guess I was, because I was reading this around the Halloween season, I had a and Mrs. Arnold, the twins' mom, has this weird like cutesy like bow thing. I was <laughs> picturing a realm of the corner of the internet that's focused on BSC fan fiction where this is like a horror thriller or like a murder <laughs> oh. mystery or something like this creepy right. mom who dresses her children like you know what's the word that means come to life like anthropomorphized dolls mm-hmm. and then like but there's a sinister kind of undercurrent to what the twins are like when mom's not looking and I was like "Ooh, this book wow yeah I definitely got the shining twins like image <laughs> in my head from the way Marilyn and Carolyn are described or from Mrs. Arnold's wild, creepy, cutesy, like Dolores Umbridge vibe? Just from the way the twins are described, because the twins in The Sh- in the Shining are also dressed in kind of like very prim and proper matching dresses. Well, right. But that's yeah. a Mrs. Arnold thing. Uh, I see. Yeah, it's because of Mrs. Arnold. It's not because of Marilyn and Carolyn. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be controversial on this subject and say no i'm just kidding this is not actually directly plot related but since you brought it up emily can we just talk about how over the top bonkers mrs arnold's outfit is when she's first described insanity like it's like so it's on the bottom of page 24 and can you can you bring us through this because i feel like i just can't even picture this is harder than drawing toby i can't even picture this situation here okay so it says In a moment, a fussy-looking woman came down the stairs. Do you know what I mean by fussy? I mean, everything about her was too much and too cute. She was wearing two necklaces, a pin, bracelets on each wrist, rings, earrings, and even an ankle bracelet. Her stockings were lacy, and she was, well, as Claude might have said, overly accessorized. Practically everything she wore had a bow attached. There were bows on her shoes, a bow on her belt, a bow in her hair, and a bow at the neck of her blouse. Her sweater was beaded, and she hadn't forgotten to pin a fake rose to it. Whew! As for cute, her earrings were in the shape of ladybugs. One of her necklaces spelled her name, Linda, in gold script. Her pin was in the shape of a mouse, and the bow in her hair was a ribbon with a print of tiny ducks all over it. 
What? Why? Murderer. <laughs> <laughs> or like a like a Munchausen-y thing? Like, what's going oh. on? <laughs> I just, I mean, whew. it's interesting that you say that. Okay, so I po- pulled at a couple different things about the twins for the for this book. One that I found really interesting when I was a kid, I remember really liking this book a lot. I don't know. What was your, your two's relationship to it? Did, is, was this one of your favorites or not so much? Do you remember? You know that neither one of us remember this as yeah. much as you do. <laughs> I do remember the cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very clearly. I think I remember liking it. Yeah. Yeah. I was really into this book. One of the things I always thought was really interesting was the twin talk. Um, mm-hmm. that they have this secret language. And also Claudia's hypothesis that they don't really have a secret language. They just have a few words to confuse people with. And so th- this is a thing that I took a little bit of a deep dive into. The The technical names for twin talk are cryptophagia or idioglossia. Um, and it's just... It's not like Pumbatoa. Yeah, basically. Like all of these things that they make up, tiding poffertot and all of that stuff. Um, and it is something that happened. But it's interesting you said like a Munchausen-y thing from Mrs. Arnold because there, it, people used to frame it as like, wow, isn't that amazing? And I think Mallory at some point says like, oh, but they're so smart. They've come up with this whole language on their own um, when actually it's sometimes an in- indication of neglect and of not having enough exposure to adult language. So twins are spending too much time by themselves. And so mm. they're spontaneously creating a language, but they're not hearing enough from adults, um, whereas singletons may be more likely to hear more adult language because they can't, they don't have a same age person that they're spending all of their time with. Interesting. Yeah. So, and I also found there was a, there's a few really famous cases of this. And there was one of these twins named Grace and Virginia Kennedy, who grew up in 1970s San Diego, and they were in the news a lot in the late 70s and early 80s, um, or sorry, in the mid 70s. Um, so I'm I'm wondering if Anna Martin would have read about them. There was even a um, film made about them. Their names were Grace and Virginia, but they called each other Poto and Cabengo. They had like made up names for each other. And there was a movie about them with the same title. And they were reported all over the country because at age six, they still spoke no English, but they had this very sophisticated private language that they had created. And so there's some of the, there's quotes here and we'll post, I found a long slate article about cryptophagia that we'll post as well with the podcast, but they say things like Dugan house you dinikin dua. Um, and then they reply back and forth and, and specifically they had grandparents who were German. And so they had a lot of German sounding words, which I think that my read on the twins talk in this book was that that was true too. There were sort of some like German consonant pairings in the things that Marilyn and Carolyn say to each other. So I was wondering if that was something mm. that that Anna Martin was thinking about. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah. I'm just thinking about Grey Gardens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. So, tw- you know, a lot of twins do develop some some form of cryptophagia, but Claudia's hypothesis was right, is it tends to be like a few words. It doesn't tend to be sort of um, full language. But when cl- twins do develop more of a language, it always follows the same rules. Like there aren't pronouns. So people that have studied twin language, um, they don't they they don't spontaneously generate pronouns. They just always use the names for things and people. Um, and they and the language is more direct. Like it doesn't follow kind of more complex grammar rules. It's sort of like, you know, handbook esme you know, like, give me the book instead of like, please give the book to me, you know. Um, so and and that's true cross-culturally, like twins who have different native languages create the same sort of structure with each other through doing this. And it is more common in identical twins than in fraternal twins. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not totally made up. Yeah. What do people speculate like that's about? Like, why is it more common in identical twins? Or like, why is it a twin phenom? Yeah, I mean, I think it's back to that idea of, you know, with Ray, with, you know, non-multiple birth siblings, you're just not always with your sibling as often, right? And mm-hmm. so it's especially in zero to five, which is when we do most of our language development, it's very uncommon for twins to be apart for very long. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, right, like and- if at all. 
if at all, right? Yeah. And the, the natural human tendency is that that we want to develop language there. If you're a singleton, you're only talking to your parents, you know, and hearing from adults during that time, or maybe an older sibling who has more developed language, mm-hmm. right? But you're learning from a same age peer who's at the same place as you. And so usually what it, it involves is repetition of misheard adult language. So it may be a word that's like, you know, instead of apple, it's like sort of like apple, but they repeat it back and forth. And so it gets reinforced Mm -hmm. the wrong way instead of if you said it to your older sibling, they would be like, oh, do you mean apple? You know, and they would naturally correct it. Interesting. Yeah. So I sort of thought when I went to look into it that it would be kind of garbage. I thought it was some of our cultural lore about twins, speaking of the shining twins, like being freaky and being super interesting and having ESP and things like that. But it's not. It's an actual phenomenon. Hmm. So she wasn't so far off. <laughs> You're both dumbstruck. You have nothing to say about it. <laughs> well, I just did a quick little look into like what happened to those girls. Uh-huh. And it says... Uh, Grace, who achieved a higher level of functioning than her sister, works at a McDonald's cleaning tables and mopping, and Virginia works at a job training center and performs assembly line work. So oftentimes, that's the thing, is that back to the, you know, Mallory thinking it made them really, really smart. Um, It usually has to do with lower IQ or delay when it sticks around Mm -hmm. for a long time. Not the development of a cryptophasia to begin with, but if it develops to the point that everybody's like, wow, that's amazing. It's usually a language problem, not like a language prodigy in some way. Right. Right. Fascinating. There's another really famous set of twins that... um, Uh, June and Jennifer Gibbons, who were in England, that were known as the silent twins and refused to speak to anybody else other than each other. Um, And they had a a really um, difficult life with lots of mental illness and crimes. And Hilton Alls did a really thorough um, profile of them in The New Yorker quite a a long time ago, I think back in 2000, maybe. Um, I can post that as well. But it is it's it's a it's fascinating. Most people who develop it just go on to learn their native language, whatever it right. is, and, and are fine. Um, and that's why for most twins, it's usually just a few words. It's not, you know, this whole structure. And is it all, all often correlated with neglect? Yeah, so that that's... Uh, that's a, a kind of an open question. I think when it's um, when it gets really thoroughly developed, that's the hypothesis, and there's certainly been case studies of that because again, there's no adult language coming in. But I think that it's less. No, I mean that was what that was my understanding of the literature mm-hmm. as I read it. Hmm. So do we think that's the case with Marilyn and Carolyn? Well, it's interesting. So that's why I said like emotionally neglected. And this is, you know, so the plot of this book, the one sentence summary is you guys basically took it. It's a it's very high on babysitting books. So I'm impressed that you both made it through. Um, <laughs> but also it really is. These two twins are dressed alike. They don't like it. Um, and as soon as they think Mallory likes it, Mallory's on their shit list and they don't I mean, want that happened. That happened like fast. Yeah. <laughs> It was quick. It was very fast. But the the undercurrent of that is that they're really unhappy about it, and yet they haven't mentioned it to their parents at all. And so for me, that's really, you know, reading it as an adult and as a psychologist, that's very concerning um, Mm -hmm. that they're – not that two, seven, turning eight-year-olds – wouldn't like sit their parents down. That's a hard thing to do. And they may, they may have some verbal delays because they're still speaking in their twin speak. I don't know, you know, um, but the fact that the mom didn't notice or the dad, we don't really see Mr. Arnold much, didn't notice like any, you know, size or sideways glances or hesitation on either of their parts for all of the matching things that to me speaks to not, I mean, they're clearly not physically neglected, right? They have all of these amazing toys and they have all these really nice clothes and they have good snacks in the house that Mallory gets to have, right? But it speaks to me to a lack of emotional attunement. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I would be really surprised. I don't know. It just seems like it must be, sh- if they're willing to terrorize Mallory and Claudia and whoever else because they're getting mixed up. It seems like their mom might notice 
something about that. Like notice kids not knowing what their name is or notice them not being excited about a new outfit she buys. So that, that was just, that was sadder to me than I remembered as a kid. I was just like, Oh yeah, their mom's dumb and Mallory's smart, you know, (laughs) but well, right. And so that was my follow up question. Do we buy that? Like Mallory clues into it so quickly and that she's like, Oh, Hey, like let's talk about your kids. And then suddenly Mrs. Arnold is like, Oh, my bad. And like, everything's fine. (laughs) yeah what did you think of that scene emily where it's so mallory like agrees to talk to to mrs arnold about the fact that the twins don't like to dress alike i don't know that's a ballsy move for an 11 year old babysitter i'll say that i don't know that i i mean and we talked about this early on with dawn and the impossible three too that like Mm -hmm. how the girls sometimes get a little bit holier than thou about their babysitting charges parenting choices and it's like Mm -hmm. I think in the non-fictional world that that would be a lot riskier to do Mm -hmm. as a babysitter and that they would be met with more aversion and like negative reactions than they get in the books so far Mm -hmm. yeah but I don't know I think that's fair it's interesting that it seems like all the more problematic kids like have sort of mothers who might be emotionally neglectful right or who have something going on emotionally yeah, something That's, going on yeah. yeah who who else is problematic well betsy we don't really know anything about the sobacks actually no but her mom goes to that women's club <laughs> right yeah she's a radical feminist um <laughs> no but, but who, who else is problematic other than the barretts and the arnold twins well, I, was I just mean, I guess I that's get, it. Yeah, the Barrett yeah. Arnold twins and and that's but that's something that's to pay attention so to. Yeah, that's something to pay attention to because definitely we have a long history of of mother blaming um, in psychology. It's a it's a proud tradition in my mm-hmm. field. Um, but I, you know, I was ready to be. I think similar. I think I said something similar in Dawn the Impossible Three. I was ready to really roll my eyes at this a lot and be like, "Okay, Mallory." Um, but I thought that it was actually, you know, that Anna Martin renders it sort of believably because um, mm-hmm. she doesn't make like a big. It's not like a you don't even know your daughters. You know, it's not like a melodramatic scene. You know, Ugh, I wish it were. <laughs> yeah, we gotta pull out some Sweet Valley High for that kind of thing. But I think, and and really Marilyn and Carolyn say more of it, right? right? Like Mallory tees it up for them and opens the door to say like, it's okay, you can say this to your parents. Um, But she doesn't say that much. I think if it was a scene between just Mallory and Mrs. Arnold, it would be a lot worse because she Mm -hmm. could, there would be room for her to be really defensive, right? But Marilyn and Carolyn jump in and say, you know, nobody can tell us apart. The kids don't even bother to learn our names. We really hate it. We used to like dressing up, but we hate it now. You know, so I think that's what, I think that's what works about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I thought it was strange that Mallory waited so long to tell the girls about her triplet brothers. Yeah. I feel like that should have come up way sooner. Yeah. Especially given the low rates of identical multiple births, which I have more about that in a second. But it's very unlikely that the girl with identical triplet brothers would be sitting for identical twins. So really, Mallory just doesn't. Yeah. Well, identical twins... The rate of identical twins has stayed the same. So um, the rate of multiples in general has gone up a lot um, in the past 30 years. Actually, it's starting to go back down again. It went up from 1980 to 2014. So um, the Arnold twins would have been born in 1981, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This is 1989. So in 1981, 19.3 out of every thousand births were twins of any kind. And in 2014, at the height, 33.9 out of 1,000 births were twins of any kind. But identical twins have held steady at 3%. Sorry, not 3%, 0.03%. Three out of 1,000 births are identical twins. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and triplets is just smaller than that. I don't have the triplet numbers off the top of my head. Has that rate increased because of reproductive technology? So it's interesting. There's actually two reasons. So reproductive technology is definitely one of them. Um, But the other is also just older age of mothers in general. So even without reproductive assistance, you're more likely to have multiple births as you get older because your ovaries get 
rusty and they start spitting out extra eggs. Okay, so, Esme's doing like a little ovarian dance right now. <laughs> I was I was motioning to my ovaries and like showing them doing a little shimmy. Eggs. Yeah, yeah. So um, so it's both. So even if you don't um, use any reproductive assistance, you're more likely to have multiple births the, the older you are when you give birth. Terrifying. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope Emily has identical twins. <laughs> Ooh, that would be really exciting. Yeah. My my aunt and uncle are twins. They're non-identical twins, though. Did you so so I did you grow up with any identical twins, Emily? Mm-hmm. In your class that that were identical, not fraternal. Yeah. One. One set. Yeah. Yeah. One one set of the same person duplicated. Yeah. <laughs> Anne and I also knew just one set of twins, identical twins growing up. And so, you know, they are pretty special. So I'm not surprised that Anna Martin chose to write about them. Um, it's funny to me that there's, you know, so much identical, so so many split eggs in this tiny neighborhood in Stony Brook, given yeah. the low prevalence rate. But I remember, you know, thinking they were really cool. And the, the other theme in this book is a lot of the kids who aren't twins talking about wishing they were twins. Did you guys ever wish that? that you had a twin? I, I used to have this like reoccurring dream where there was like another version of me, but it was like a better version of me. Oh, no. It's a little dark. <laughs> I know. Dark. It, but it, I was like, oh, that's like the better version of me and my parents like her better. Oh. I'm going to insert a little tiny violin sound here. Yeah. <laughs> or like the, the like Linus walking in the rain music from Peanuts. Like, yeah. 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 Aaron and I used to get mistaken for twins all the time when we were very small. Um, Yeah. So I'm older, but Aaron is now much taller than me. So there's a period of time where she caught up to me and then passed me, but we were the same size Mm -hmm. for a long time. And we look very similar. Less, we look less similar now than we did then, but Mm -hmm. we often got mistaken for twins. And so often that we had like a, a sort of synchronized response to the way strangers would treat us in public where we would mm-hmm. like people would ask us questions and we would say the same answer at the same time in the same voice like not on purpose it wasn't rehearsed it was just like it happened so often that like every time it happened we would answer it the same way and people would think it was so cute you know like similarly to how Mallory's like oh look at you guys mirrored on your beds like yeah dress like the same yeah. yeah um but I don't remember ever like longing for twinship <laughs> or like playing mm-hmm. twins even we we had mm-hmm. a twin day at school like our elementary oh yeah twin we day. had twin spirit days too that's all i remember yeah we did twin days for spirit days all the time at school i remember that yeah i also remember thinking that the names marilyn and carolyn were really dumb and that if i had twins i would give them really cool names like harmony and melody i remember that <laughs> You are so bad. Awful. <laughs> the worst, right? I'm totally the worst. Harmony and melody? I know. Oh. I know. But which is it is it really that much worse than Marilyn and Kel- Carolyn? It's way, it's like cutesier. It's like our more Mrs. Arnoldy. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's worse. I think it's the same. I think it's just as bad. I'm not trying to defend it. I'm just saying I don't think it's worse. Huh. I wonder if I would want to be harmony or melody. I think harmony is worse. Yeah, I'd want to oh, be worse. melody. Oh, yeah. I would. I would want to be harmony. One of my project picture books books had a had a girl whose name was Harmony. She played the trombone. She was the only one. Anyway, <laughs> dear lord, <laughs> that's all I got. Emily, what did you notice in this book? Well, I thought it was really interesting that. So it's been a bit of a like burgeoning pet peeve of mine since Mallory and Jesse have been introduced that. One of their like personality things is that they feel like babies and they want to be more grown up. Like, I don't really feel like that's a personality thing. I think that's like just a regular developmental thing. <laughs> but in this book, I was particularly struck by how like getting your ears pierced is like the stand in for the transition from like baby to not baby. <laughs> yeah, and I was a thinking a lot. Yeah. And I was thinking a lot about what sort of social function piercing serves and like in the 80s and now right there and then like historically and there's a really robust history to like body adornment in general to tattooing and to piercing and I mean you know like they find fossils of 5,000 year old 
humanoids who have evidence of being both tattooed and pierced in like a bunch of different ways. And there's all kinds of anthropological historical evidence about, you know, um, the social function of piercing as a way to designate class in like ancient civilizations in Rome, it was linked to, you know, like different, different social requirements to chastity. And there's like a whole history of it being used in like Renaissance or um, medieval Italy as like a kind of marker for slave populations and all these kinds of things, like different kinds of piercings, right? Ear piercings, facial piercings and all these things. And then you have like, you know, a sort of resurgence of piercing or emergence of piercing rather in the United States as a kind of countercultural thing around the 60s, right? You have all these like white hippies traveling to India to learn about, you know, yoga and all this stuff. And they come back with nose piercings, which were like, you know, a, a tradition that went moved to India from the Middle East um, that had links in sort of Ayurvedic, Ayurvedic medicine. So like a lot of women have their left nostril pierced because that is a pressure point that's supposed to link to pain related to menstruation and that kind of thing. And so there was a sort of like appropriation of the nose piercing by like 1960s hippies. And then it comes to represent the sort of hippie countercultural movement. And there's a kind of conservative backlash against piercing. Like I remember when I was a kid, my parents sort of freaking out over facial piercings and tattoos as like a thing that's going to prevent you from uh, achieving a certain, you know, job or level of social status. And now it's kind of like a really, like a commodity you can just buy. And it kind of doesn't have that same sort of countercultural weight, I think, as it did maybe mm -hmm. in like the, the conservative backlash against the sixties and the sort of seventies mm -hmm. and seventies and eighties. But I was thinking about how it, even though Anna Martin, Anna Martin is still using it as a sort of social signifier in this book, mm -hmm. right? Like piercing is a thing that signifies that emergence from childhood into like adolescence. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, even in a context where it's like, you know, culture, like totally commodified, right? You can just buy a piercing and it has no intrinsic kind of link to a, a particular social hierarchy. It's still, it's still sort of playing that function of by like sorting people uh, into social categories by just some arbitrary visual cue <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I thought that was kind of interesting that is really interesting I was as you were talking as you were giving that like mini whirlwind history lesson of piercing and body adornments I was like which one of those things was Mallory considering when she uh right <laughs> um but yeah I I sort of remember it being like that do you remember totally. yeah like yeah, for sure in I mean this is when you know, we're we're pretty much the same age as Mallory in these, you know, she's just a couple years younger than us in these books. And this is when people were, everybody was getting their ears pierced. Mm -hmm. um, interestingly, neither Anne nor I ever got our ears pierced. Mm. Um, and I have no tattoos. Yeah. Oh, I also have no tattoos. <laughs> I don't even think about that in the context of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I have eight I holes in my ears. Yeah. Of course you do, Dawn. <laughs> yeah. I remember really wanting my ears pierced, but my parents wouldn't let me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I never then, wanted them. And then I just, at some point, I was just, I just didn't care anymore. Well, I thought it was interesting. Mallory's like, I don't know if Dawn would want her ears pierced because she doesn't want to look like every 13-year-old. And then Dawn's like, nah, I don't care. And then she's like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get four holes at once. <laughs> yeah. What the, what was up with that? And guess what? My mom said I could get two holes. <laughs> That was totally, that was like around the time that, a lot. that that was new. Yeah. yeah. I mean. No, but would someone's mom be like, okay, get four holes? Sharon would. Mm -hmm. That's totally in character for Sharon Porter. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Sharon likes that her, her relationship with her daughter is more like sisters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure. She's like, Sharon's like, I'm going to get four holes. Yeah. In each ear. Yeah. She's like, why don't, Sharon probably gave her the idea. Probably. Why don't you get an extra yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. And did you, so did you like lobby your parents or were you kind of like Mallory where you're like, oh, they'll just say no. So you just didn't bother to ask. Um, I think I asked and they said I was too young, but like the time I wanted my ears first was like fifth or sixth grade. Mm -hmm. mm. And then I stopped caring. What's mm -hmm. funny is like maybe, I don't know, like five years ago, my friend was visiting me in New York and she doesn't have her ears pierced either. And she's like, she was like in a rock band and stuff. And I was like, you don't have her ears pierced? And she was like, you don't have her ears pierced? So it was like 1 a.m. And we were like 
in the Lower East Side. And we're like, let's go get our ears pierced. And we like could not find a place that was open. <laughs> so then that was like, our, that was my chance. And it just, no, it passed. It, it passed. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's yeah. so funny. I, was, I mean, in, in true Christy fashion with me, it was always just that I never was interested and in why would I want to do that? So, mm-hmm. and then I continued to be not interested. Mm-hmm. You just wore turtlenecks. Yeah. <laughs> and a sweater. It's a lot of layers. Yeah. It's a lot of layers. Every time they describe Christy's outfit, I'm like, who wears both of those articles of clothing every day? That's way too many articles of clothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like, well, Connecticut's cold, but not year round. No. And and also in cold places. Well, I don't know if they did this in the 80s. We would have to ask somebody who lived in Connecticut in the 80s. I'm, but when I moved to the East Coast, I was like, oh, yeah, it's cold here, but they make all the indoor spaces 10,000 degrees. Oh, so horrible climate really control inside. Yeah. Well, so you would never want to wear that even in the winter now. But I don't yeah. know. Maybe in the 80s, the buildings were breezier. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, yeah. It's like... I remember in, in the winter, you get on the subway and you're like all bundled up. And there were several times where I thought I was literally going to pass out on the train. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I was so hot and I was like standing there looking at other people. And I was like, is anyone else going to pass out? Because it's yeah. like a thousand degrees in here. I know. <sighs> now I don't have to do that. Yeah. Don't yeah. miss it. I don't remember when I got my ears pierced, but my parents were pretty chill about it things after 16 and then after 18 I was like I don't care what you think anymore mm-hmm. but like I, my dad took me to get my belly button pierced when I was 16 because you had to have a parent mm-hmm. I took it out pretty quickly after because I had a uh, some like weird back pain and I went to go see my dad's like hippy dippy cranial sacral therapist and she had me do this thing where she, I like put out each limb and she would lean on it and I had a match pressure and like one of my legs for some reason like wouldn't match pressure the way my other ones do. And she said, do you have a belly button piercing? And I said, yeah. And she goes, can you take it out for a second? And I took it out and then my leg was fine. And I, I threw it away and never put it back in. It freaked me out so much. What? Yeah, it was super weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then she was like, if you ever have chronic illness, you should probably, because I have three piercings in my upper, what do you call that? Of your ear? Uh, like the cartilage? upper cartilage. Yeah. And she was like, if you ever have chronic illness, you should get those checked out by like a, acupuncturist because they might be connected to some thing yeah i've never had chronic illness so i've never bothered to get them checked out but (laughs) yeah i thought when you were talking about your belly button ring and you took it out that it was you were going to say it interfered with your karate (laughs) no it did not Uh, anything else that stood out for you in this book emily i mean aside from like i i still don't really quite understand what was up with mrs arnold like her weird I don't know. It seemed like something other than the like regular commitment to a particular version of femininity that we've seen sort of at being both like played with and taken for granted in the book so far. Like I I felt like there was something going on with Mrs. Arnold, (laughs) but I don't know. But like what? Like, what do you mean? I have no idea. I was just like, I don't understand the relationship between like, like how she's making her kids dress and like what that was it just a sort of version of femininity that she thought was appropriate or like is it some other weird commitment to something that I'm not even thinking about I mean look at her outfit I think she's committed to just like weird cutesy outfits and she probably just liked dressing up her her girls in it right right but the Arnold twins look look I mean their outfits were actually like appropriate children's outfits though they didn't have 19 different accessories like Mrs. Mm-hmm. Arnold's described outfits like for some reason she stopped but I feel like their outfits are a bit anachronistic right like oh, they're not for sure so that to me seems strange yeah I think a lot of those clothes were still sold though in the 80s like really? I mm-hmm. yeah I remember um like, uh, who's that family that we went to school with and that owned that that Italian kids store, Bambinos? Oh, the Sinistros. Mm. They had that store and they sold like fancy, frilly kids outfits like that. Like mm-hmm. that still was around. It was anachronistic, but it was like, I think it's also part of that. We we're talking about like being rich, being cool in the 80s. Like it was part of that, like sort of like refined, appropriate children's outfits kind mm-hmm. of thing, like in line with sort of private school uniforms and stuff like that. Interesting. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the coolest thing to wear, but for, and they're young, right? They're seven turning eight. 
that they they don't seem like they would seem really anachronistic now, but I don't mm-hmm. think that they're that far away from something that some parents would choose for their kids in the late okay. 80s. I think those are the things I was preoccupied with in this book, pretty much. No, there there weren't a lot of like subplots in this book. Yeah. It was pretty much the twins and the ear piercing. Mm-hmm. You know who had her ears pierced? Michelle. Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How many holes did she have? She had like five. No. <laughs> At first she just had two, but she also got her belly button pierced. And mm. she did. I think she had two in each ear, right? I like think Dawn. So. Yeah, yeah, it started out with just with two. She had these big dangly, don't worry, be happy. Oh, my God. Iconic. I believe one said, don't worry. And yeah. the other one said, be happy. Yeah. That's that cool. was her favorite song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we love you, Michelle. <laughs> Speaking of accessories, what was the name of that store across the street from Vicks that had all the fun little like charm things and like jelly bracelets? I forgot that that was across from Vicks with the plastic charms. Uh huh. Oh, I don't know. Well, it made me think of Mary Brown. Something. I know. We can. I can probably Google it and find it. Yeah. Mary Round. Yeah, yeah, which I don't remember Mary Round. I think it's an East Coast chain. Is it supposed to be like a Claire's or something? I yeah. think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's what like I always a- thought it was, but apparently it's real. You found an ad for it, right, Annie? Oh yeah, so it it was um, in the they just rewrote the lyrics to um, "Fill the Noise." Do you know that song, Emily? Mm-mm. I can try. To, I can sing it. Go ahead, Anne. Do a little quiet riot. But I'll sing it with the Mary Ground lyrics. Okay. Okay. Come on, girls and boys, fill the fashion noise and oh, dress wild, wild, wild at the merry-go-round. Oh yeah. <laughs> Very nice, Anne. Clap, clap. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this is my um, entry into malls. Mm-hmm. So the mall is like the third place in the book, kind of, right? If they're not yeah. at their house or, you know, babysitting, they're, they're, they're at the mall. Mm-hmm. And this is like in the, the golden age of the mall, was the 80s, I would say. Yeah. So first, let me ask you guys about your memories and experiences with the mall. Esme? I went to the mall a lot with Emily when she was a baby at this time. So her mom, Dana, really liked to go to the mall and we would go down and visit her and we would go um, to the Fresno Mall and we would go to um, the the smaller one in Visalia. The Sequoia and, Mall? Yeah, the Sequoia Mall. Exactly. And we would go to the Wet Seal Mm-hmm. Um, which is very trendy. Well, Wet Seal was at the Visalia Mall, not the Sequoia Mall. Okay. There are two okay. malls in Visalia. One was really shitty. It's where the old okay. Borders was. Um, and the movie well, we theater. We would go to all of them. All the malls. With you, you and a stroller. <laughs> I remember Erin once left her blankie in the Wet Seal, and it was a big drama. My mom um, made the like, sales yeah. lady get in the dumpster. Yeah. They- <laughs> It's a big family story. Mm -hmm. So I remember doing that. But I was thinking about this. Like, I do not like shopping at all Mm -hmm. now. Um, But I did like it when I was a kid. Um, Particularly, like, it was was the 80s. It was like an activity in a way that I feel like my kids would not view shopping as an activity. Mm -hmm. But, like, we, you know, it would be like, let's take our allowance and let's get dropped off in, like, Old Sacramento or at Downtown Plaza. And we're just going to shop for a few hours, which is really bizarrely capitalist as I look at Emily but like it was a it was a thing that we did yes yeah we went to the mall a lot as teenagers too it was like before we could drive when you had to get dropped off and picked up somewhere and like Mm -hmm. shopping was really little of the activity it was mostly like it was like playing in public Mm -hmm. you know you like walk Mm -hmm. around you try on free samples you go through all the books you like i don't know we're ra- rarely actually buying things or looking for anything in mm-hmm. particular mm-hmm. it's like oh you can meet your friend at the mall like whatever right. there there are right, barts galore it- at the mall you know <laughs> barts galore <laughs> yeah but it's under the auspices of shopping right like even yeah. trying on clothes and looking at the books and like buying an orange julius those are all like shopping activities mhm well these are all valid points ladies 
Thank you. So you're welcome. So in in Stony Brook, they go to the Washington Mall, which mm-hmm. as far as I can tell is fictional. I'll try to look it up. Doesn't exist around the area Stanford or anything. Um, but the the book opens in the mall with the Pike family going to the mall to like buy clothes for everyone. And Mallory says, I swear the mall is another world. You're surrounded by stores and shops and even better things. Food stands, exhibits, a flower market, and my personal favorite, the ear-piercing boutique. I hardly know where to look. So I feel like that, like, this is what you guys were talking about. You went to the mall, not really to shop, but it was like another world you could enter. Mm -hmm. Where it was like when you were a kid and you couldn't really do anything else. It It was like a safe place to like basically like roam around and like feel safe or whatever. And your parents were okay with you being there by yourself with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so just a quick history of the mall. Um, the inventor of the American mall um, was an Austrian born architect named Victor Grun. Um, he opened an outdoor shopping plaza in 1954 near Detroit, and two years later opened the first enclosed shopping center um, in Edina, Minnesota. So he was kind of like, he was very European, and like, I think he wanted to create like a Europe, a big European city type um, place, like like a Paris or like a London or something. Where like people, a village square? Yeah, like a, like, exactly. And <clears throat> I think in the 1950s was when like, sub, you know, people were escaping to the suburbs in their cars and people were like, like leaving the city, right? And going outside the city. And this guy was like, oh, like they're going to be so isolated out there. They're not going to, there's no place for them to go. So his idea was to build these, shopping centers where people could have these like daily encounters with other people in a centralized place. So like, obviously Americans love this idea and it like really caught on. And, and between 1956 and 2005, over 1500 malls were built in the U S and they all like look the same. They're a rectangle and with like multiple floors anchored by department stores. Right. So, but eventually Malls started to do exactly what Victor Gruen, like the opposite of what he wanted them to do, because it turned out that malls were more profitable when they were much bigger. So mm-hmm. they, they they built them further and further out from cities to like service mm-hmm. multiple communities and like a far out place. Um, so like further isolated people. And then it started actually, you know, it took away business from downtown areas and everything. So and then in the 70s, there was like the slowdown of malls just because like there was like the 70s began a recession and ended with the Vietnam War. And it was like unemployment was really high and people weren't just like in the mood for buying things, really. Actually, like this, the architect actually disavowed his his invention of the mall eventually because he like hated it so much. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like he viewed it at first as like a city planning yeah. kind of measure, like a like mm-hmm. urban renewal, like help people get yeah. together, not as a capitalist tool. He was also responsible for um, like making the windows of stores look really nice, like in New York and stuff. Mm. So people would be attracted to going in them. So he, he was like pre- pretty influential um, in retail, in the retail space. Um but in the 80s was like the golden age of the malls. It's like when like it's like I think what everyone thinks of when you picture the mall from like mm-hmm. all the movies we've seen and everything. And it was like it was it became the third place for teens where like they went there not to really buy stuff, but it was to hang out with their friends and go to the food court and like flirt with Bart's. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, a, like it was like you know it was like a bar for teenagers I guess mm-hmm. um, where you just kind of like hung out um, and this you know was kind of the heyday of malls and into the nineties too and you guys can guess why malls started to die online the internet online shopping um, a lot of people point to Amazon as like the really beginning of it. Um, and I actually used to work at this fashion trade um, publication in the, this is probably around 2009 or 10. And it was a huge thing about how malls were dying and how it was like this, it's like, it was called like the retail apocalypse and how it's like, currently we have so many malls that are just empty mm-hmm. and they're being turned into storage spaces. People don't know what to do with them. Um, and like, there's a shift. 
Abandoned malls heavily feature in like post-apocalyptic yeah. YA. <laughs> yeah. In fact, there's a whole YouTube channel called Dead Malls. Oh no. Where like a guy basically like roams dead malls, like empty malls. And it's like, you know, you can, I'll, I'll put the link up in our post, but like, it's just like super creepy, dark, like, you know, this, you can tell this was like a pizza hut or like this was like a Claire's boutique or whatever. Um, there's this like, uh, on bloomberg.com, there's like a video game that is called the American mall game where it's like, you are a real estate investor and you have to figure out how to turn these malls into profitable space. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It's, I played it for a little bit. It was kind of dark. Um, <laughs> I want to play. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the link. Um, but yeah, it was, but, and then there's this good quote from, um, from Jillian Flynn, the author of Gone Girl, mm-hmm. who she's quoted as saying for kids of the eighties, um, we were the last of the free range kids roaming around malls, not really buying anything, just looking to see how this big looming space is so empty now. It's a childhood haunting. Yeah, I was thinking about how, like, as a person that does not care about fashion, does not enjoy shopping, like, as you described, like, the dead, empty malls, I got, I'm not crying, um, <laughs> but I got really sad, like, in my soul. And I guess it's because of what she just said there right it's that yeah. nostalgia piece and like i mean at the time yeah it's like i just think when you're a kid i i mean orange julius was like such a treat for me when i was a kid and you could only get it at the florin mall mm-hmm. and like i remember it was across from the sanrio store mm-hmm. and like i just got so excited knowing that i was gonna go to the sanrio store and then get like an orange julius we used to go to the food court in the mall for lunch in high school to flirt with boys from the other high schools. Because it was mm-hmm. like, it was in the middle of three high schools and we all had the same lunch period. Uh-huh. So you'd go there to like, you know, you would go on Fridays because that's when all the sports players would be wearing their jerseys for the games. So you could recognize like who went to what school. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's very grease. <laughs> yeah, it's very grease. I, yeah, I'm, I remember being really excited, like when our, we got old enough that we had friends that like worked at like Hot Dog on a Stick, and that mm-hmm. was like a very. I remember when Kimiko got the job at Hot Dog on a Stick, mm-hmm. and we were so excited for her and so excited to see her in that like outfit. Um, so funny. <laughs> I know. I mean, it does make me feel very nostalgic and kind of sad that it was an experience that was sort of important to growing up mm-hmm. as a teenager, right? It was like a semblance of independence. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And like when all the girls went to the mall instead of having like a party, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, and they like went to the, they went to like, what was it called? Like tape rolled. <laughs> oh, that, that was a, that was a punch in the gut when they went to, to, to tape world to look at the new tapes. Yeah. I know. Um, I was like, oh, I felt that in my soul. Yeah. Oh, no. They went to, like, the donut store. Mm -hmm. And just, like, watching your friends get their ears pierced. Mm -hmm. It's, like, such a rite of passage. And, like, it was so cute. Like, Christy and Marianne bought everyone earrings, and they all exchanged Mm -hmm. earrings. Like, so wholesome. So wholesome. Oh, it's called the music cellar. It's not. Oh, music cellar. (laughs) (laughs) So where did the tape basement? Where did I get tape? Did I just make that up? No. They said to look at the new tapes. So. Oh, okay. But also the one of the twins does a project that's called like the elect the electric world or something. <laughs> the world like that. of electricity. Oh, the world of electricity. I think he combined yeah. the two. I watched Ladybird yesterday and I thought of oh. you guys with the tower oh. tower. Oh. The tower tower is Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. I know. So where Esme and I grew up, we we lived within walking distance to Tower Records. Tower Books and Tower Tower Video. And the original Tower Theater that all of those things were named after. And when yeah. I tell my husband about this, how we would walk there to check out new books and rent a movie and like check out the new CDs, he'd be like, where did you live? <laughs> <laughs> Sacramento, baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you want to know more about me and Anne, you don't have to check out the prologue episode. Just watch Lady Bird, but remove the Catholic high school. And then it's basically it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. 
Pretty but much. also that movie's set in exactly the right time period that it also is me. <laughs> right. Right. right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's a few years younger than us. Yeah. yeah. So it's just it's a it's a California adolescence for sure. Esme, can you guess what song has been stuck in my head since Anne started on her mall segment? Yes, I can. <laughs> Let's go to the mall by Robin Sparkles. Let's yeah. go to the mall, everybody. <laughs> and did you watch How I Met Your Mother? No. Okay. Let's <laughs> go to the mall. We'll have to send you the, the. Basically, there's a plot where one of the main characters is from Canada, and she was like a Tiffany-style pop star. Um, but it was in the 90s. But because she's from Canada, it was like it was the 80s. So that's like one part of the joke because it was like late. So she had a song about everybody going to the mall. And nice. like one of the other, the Neil Patrick Harris character, like unearths her music video from it, like partway through nice. the series. And it's really amazing. But the yeah. reveal is funny. So she's like a very private person. And one of them, you know, Barney, like wants to take everybody to do something at the mall. And she's like, oh, it's at a mall. I can't go there. And everybody's like, but yeah. Wetzel's pretzels. But insert thing about malls that are great and like all totally nostalgia ridden and she's like I won't go there because her one hit was let's go to the mall and they made her tour all around malls in Canada performing this song it's it's a very good bit (laughs) it is a very good I'll I'll have to check it out yeah I had one little pop culture thing Annie that I was wondering Mm -hmm. if you noticed when the when Mallory's putting together the goodie bags for the birthday party for Marilyn and Carolyn. She remarks that goodie bags have gotten really good. And I had the same reaction. Like we did not have goodie bags that good when we were kids at this age. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing that she said in there that blew my mind was the clip on koala. Mm-hmm. And I forgot all about those. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me really happy. What is that? That was the thing. It's like a little furry. It's like a tiny, like this size, like less smaller than your hand koala. And it had like white, like metal arms that you could pinch open kind of like a clothespin. And then you would put it on so so it could hold on to your binder or like Mm -hmm. your backpack strap or like your friend's ear or like your finger. Weird. Um, And and they just sort of I don't remember ever buying one. I feel like they just kind of appeared. I definitely had one. I have sure. I had one for sure. Yeah. I mean, you That's mostly funny. put it on the top of your pencil. That's where it was probably supposed to go, but I don't yeah. maybe Anne mostly put it there. I feel like I put it all different places. I also feel like koalas were just an 80s thing. Oh yeah, they were really in. Like remember yeah. when one showed up at the Sacramento Zoo? Oh, that was a that was that a time. big deal. Uh Dave and Michael and um Lenny Papadakis are also reading basho man comics i feel mm. like anna martin really phoned it in for that one <laughs> like yeah why i don't know come on anna martin basho basho and this is the book right after bart's bashers like i don't know if she just had bashing on her brain uh, she had bart on her brain <laughs> Ooh, anna martin also has a crush on bart hot she's literally a lesbian <laughs> whatever that doesn't mean <laughs> okay <laughs> But that's all I really got. Does Claudia have candy in this book? She doesn't really. She has. She just mentions pretzels. Oh. Pretzels. That's it's because Mallory doesn't like to talk about Claudia very much. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah, she's really obsessed with Dawn in this book. I was like, whoa, God, we get it. Yeah, well, yeah. speaking of tallies, um, how many times do you think she mentioned that Dawn was an individual? Seven. <laughs> No, it was four, but it's by far the most. The yeah. to- total, it hadn't been mentioned seven times prior to this. So that brought it up to 11. She also does call Claudia both exotic and mentions that she has almond-shaped eyes. She's the mm-hmm. first character to do both of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, she and- also talks about her complexion again. Yeah. yeah. I-, I haven't been tracking that. Everybody talks about her complexion. She has beautiful skin, you guys. Yes, so well, beautiful. she's Asian. Um <laughs> Um, I saw that saw that nightingale poop she puts on her face. <laughs> okay. Marianne is still shy and sensitive. Um, and Dawn is an individual four times. Mallory describes herself as calm once. I didn't know if that went with level-headed. It's it was in the context where she would have said level-headed. I'm really having right. a hard time coding Mal and Jesse. Yeah. She doesn't really describe Jesse other than how much she likes her and how great they are together, but she doesn't really um, pigeonhole her with any specific thing. So we still, um, do you have a guess of what word has been used the most of our tropes so far across the series? Sensitive? Uh, close. Babyish? No, it's shy. No, that one fell off. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shy's in the lead at 26. 
followed closely by both bossy and sophisticated at 20, um, then babyish at 17, sensitive at 16, um, Don equals health food at 11, individual 10, practical level-headed 10, Claudia exotic 7, and has almond-shaped eyes 3. Jesse tells jokes 3. Should I get bangs? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then we can all match. <laughs> Great. We could be twins, yeah. Let's do it. Triplets. <laughs> Triplets. <laughs> what if we just want to, what if we like try to market ourselves as being triplets? <laughs> I think that would be a weird strategy. Identical triplets. That, that no, has to show. no, no. No one really knows what we look like. We could erase, I can delete those three photos of us on our Instagram feed and we can just duplicate one of us. I think we're all pretty easily Googleable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's definitely true. Okay, what was everyone's favorite weird line? <laughs> I really liked um, their made-up word "tosh" that they just mm-hmm. used as a response to other made-up stuff. I, mean, <laughs> I, I like them. It. Yeah, I picture I like them any saying it like a words. affirmation. Yeah. Tosh, Roger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked a lot of their made-up words. I had "der Blum tiding poffer tot" written down. <laughs> um. That one sounds good to me. Let's do it. <laughs> Okay, I have two others though that I think are funny. We can stick with Derblum Tiding Poffertot, but um, one is Mallory sort of sighs to herself about all the jobs they're getting, and she says, "We are just too popular," <laughs> which reminded me a little bit of like when Claire's high in the Breakfast Club and she's talking about how popular she is. Yeah, and then say Claire Pike, not Claire Pike, Claire <laughs> yeah. Stan- Standish, Claire Standish, and then. Uh, <laughs> You know, when Claire Pike was high. Yeah, I was like, whoa, when did that happen? Silly Billy Goo Goo. (laughs) Anne's like, oh, that must have been a babysitting chapter I skipped. (laughs) Damn, I've got to go back and read that one. (laughs) Speaking of the Pikes, though, there's more. um, more, I feel like we have been enjoying um, referencing Mr. Pike and Mrs. Pike's words out of context, like with Daddy Stew. And there's a part where... Sorry, I'm being really boring. Blah, blah. There's a part where the pikes are fighting around the kitchen table, and um, one of them says something about their dad, and Mrs. Pike says, Daddy is behaving himself quite nicely. No, Mr. Pike says that about himself. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. I liked that. (laughs) I thought it was funny and also gross out of context. Yeah, super gross out of context. (laughs) But we can stick with that uh, derblum tiding poffer tot. That's fine with me. Daddy is behaving uh, quite nicely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what should we pizza toast to, you guys? Bart is hot. Oh my god, that was last <laughs> week, Emily. <laughs> malls. We could pizza toast to malls. To the death of the American dream. That's true. That's true. Oh, sorry. One I other mean, thing I forgot to mention. It's always a myth. We talked. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about, um, you You guys remember door in the face and foot in the door mm-hmm. methods of persuasion. Mal uses door in the face when she finally talks to her parents about oh, yeah. getting her ears pierced and her haircut. Mm-hmm. She yeah. does a big ask. She asks for a whole new wardrobe and contacts just to get the haircut and the ear piercing. That That's like, pretty funny. smart. Good strategy, Mal. Very sensible. Mm-hmm. Very level-headed. Mm-hmm. Damn it. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfuckers. All right. Um, but you want to do de- uh, death of the American dream? No, it's okay. They still the brewers still get to go to estate sales every week. <laughs> oh yeah, I actually I noted what they bought or they've been buying. It's, well, the bird um, bath. Remember, I was like, what is with this? Fa- yeah. Is the bird bath the fountain or are those two different art items? I think those are different. Yeah. Okay. So they bought a fountain and the bird bath, mm-hmm. both at and estate chan- sales. Yes, a chandelier, mm-hmm. and a big lamp with like a stained glass shade which i assume is a tiffany lamp yeah i think that's oh, a fair shit. assumption yeah they're getting fancy chris's mom is changing oh i'm just saying okay so pizza toast uh so is it to the death of the american dream is that what we're going for sure the of the mythical american dream yeah okay to ghost malls to ghost malls no, to ghost malls this episode of stuck in stony brook is now adjourned Thank you to Anna and Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kid. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook 
or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuckinstonybrook. Lastly, if you're feeling dibly generous and you want to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends of Girl Basketball.